sing amen. Amen. We agree. We agree, Jesus, you are worthy. The lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. You are worthy. Worthy. Thank you, Jesus. For your body broken for us. For your blood poured out for us. We remember. Help us to not forget. When we take the bread, when we take the cup, we are remembering and we are proclaiming your death until you come again. We do this in obedience to you, Jesus, because we love you, because you first loved us so much that you were obedient to death on a cross. While we were still sinners, you died for us. And you rose again so that we could be raised to new life in you to enjoy you forever. And until then, we remember and we proclaim until that day, until the final feast with you, Jesus. Continue your work in us, Holy Spirit, as we begin to hear your word. Embolden Pastor Rick to preach faithfully and wisely with a shepherd's heart, with tenderness and compassion for us, pleading with us to obey your word. Holy Spirit. And then enable us to obey. Give us ears to hear and hands that will obey and do what your word says. Jesus, you're worthy of our worship. Worthy is the Lamb. And it's in your worthy name that all God's people said, Amen. And amen. You can be seated as we continue in worship.
Good morning. I am so glad you're here today. We're going to continue our study in Hebrews chapter 11. If you're newer to our fellowship, you can open up your flat screens or your Bibles to Hebrews 11, and, and we'll get there in just a moment. But one of the things we're noticing in this chapter is that God is giving us examples of people who flat out trusted God's words. When they heard from God, when they read God, God's words, they listened to God. God defined faith as an uncompromising confidence in his word. And God is pleased when we bank on his promises, even if they don't make sense to us, or even if we don't experience them in our lifetime. Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, these are all names, names that we have been studying, names that are in Hebrews 11. And each one of these folks demonstrate this kind of faith by literally believing in what God says. So before we open the book and focus in on Moses... Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, you are holy. We we use that word, and we recognize in our head that holy means sinless and, and clean and pure. And God, you are so love. And we are sinful. We have boldly rebelled against you and your ways. And and you, God, loved us and pursued us and sent your son down to die on a cross, to spill his blood, to pay for our debt of sin so that we can be reunited. His death satisfied your wrath against sin so that anyone who believes father can stand before you as an adopted son or daughter of god and we can have communion with you we can have fellowship with you we can have a relationship with you father we thank you for that we again don't ever want to get tired of of talking about your grace and your mercy in our lives. We thank you. We pray, dear Father, that that you would do a work in our hearts today. Lord, as we look around in our world, uh, wow, it, it just feels so broken. We recognize the wars and the rumors of wars. And and even at this time, as we pray for Israel, Lord, we pray for strength and protection for the victims and comfort for those who are mourning. We pray, Lord, that the crimes and the atrocities would be judged quickly. We ask you, dear God, that we as a church would be salt and light, both here and there. 
Because we know that peace, ultimately for peace, it will only come when both the Jews and the Muslims see Jesus as Messiah. So we ask you, God, that that you would do your perfect work over in a land that is so broken, so hurting, so filled with disaster right now. We ask you, Father, right here back home, that you would be with the believers in churches who are worshiping you right now. We think of connection and meadowland and new hope. We ask you, dear God, that you would be with these congregations, these flocks, that they would be fed, that they would be emboldened and encouraged and convicted because your word is being preached. We thank you, Father, actually for a miracle last week. Last week, there was an older gentleman. His name was was John Beer. And God, uh, he suffered a heart attack on our property last, last Sunday. And God, because of your grace, there were so many different people that responded quickly. And Lord, we give you glory today. He is alive. He is enjoying your blessings. And we thank you for the grace that you've extended to that family. We also know, Lord, that Haley and Tanya Hill are traveling back today, that they've had a couple full weeks of visiting our missionaries, of gracing others, of learning about life in Kenya. We pray you would bring them home safely and they would be strengthened as we listen to their stories of God's grace. Father, I just thought of driving here too to just thank you for the new street we're getting. How nice is that? I don't know how they pick streets and and any of that, but I, I thank you, God, that, again, you take care of us. And lastly, God, I pray for all the kids who are downstairs, for the teachers, for the word of God they're hearing, for the love that's being displayed for them. We ask you, dear God, that there would be decisions, even decisions at a young age, that they would be empowered and strengthened, that they would love you more and more. Lord, there's so many ministries that are going on, so many small groups that continue to meet, so many things, God, that, well, we need your help in. We need your help for our leaders. We need your help to follow you. We ask you, God, that you would do something amazing and big and special in each one of our lives. Thank you again for the opportunity we have to boldly come into your presence. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you could turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. This verse, Hebrews 11, 23, doesn't actually talk a lot about Moses. But I would be remiss if we kind of skipped over this verse and I didn't start with the faith of Jochebed and Amram. Now, those are Moses' parents. We, we find out their names, actually, in Exodus chapter 6. 
But last week, Pastor Blake focused on Joseph in verse 22. As you recall, Joseph and his family were held in high esteem. But it didn't take long for their favored status to leave. Let's read Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And it was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child, and they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Well, what was the situation? If we turn back in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 1, we find out that Well, this favored status of the Jews, because of Joseph and all that he provided and his great leadership, that basically faded. In Exodus chapter 1, verse 8, eventually a new king or a pharaoh came into power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. Well, the Jews were multiplying. And they were growing. And although they came at about 70 strong when Joseph invited them to live into Egypt, they had grown into the hundreds of thousands by this time. And the Hebrews, they continued to multiply, which threatened the stability of Egypt. So many of you know the story, but if you read further on in Acts chapter 1, Pharaoh put out an edict, and basically it was first to the midwives, and told the midwives, hey, you guys just keep doing your job, and when the Jews give birth to a boy, we want you to kill the boy. No. The midwives didn't even listen, Not, not any of them, and God blessed them. And Pharaoh saw that, and a little bit further, he goes, well, I've got to stop this outbreak. I, I mean, this is just happening. The multi, you know, these people are multiplying. And so he literally sent out the edict to everyone and just said this, any time a Jewish boy is born, I want you to throw that boy into the Nile River. We must stop this growth right now. Well, that was not good news for any Israeli family. But God had a plan. And in Exodus chapter 2, starting at verse 1, this is what the scriptures tell us. About this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that it was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. They saw this beautiful little boy as a special baby and decided not to listen to Pharaoh. He was lovely in in God's sight. You know, we're going to jump back and forth between Exodus and actually Acts chapter 7 where... There's a long message where Stephen actually gives a 
a scenario of Israel's history right before he gets stoned because of his faith in Acts chapter 7. So we look at Hebrews, we look at a little bit of Exodus, and we jump back to Acts chapter 7. But in Acts chapter 7, starting in verse 20, this is what the scripture says. In the middle of the message that Stephen is giving. He's preaching. At, the, at that time, Moses was born, a beautiful child in the, in the eyes of God. His parents cared for him at home for three months. When they had to abandon him, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and raised him as her own son. Moses was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was powerful in both speech and action. Wow. Moses was born to this couple. He was God's special child. As you know, he was given a divine destiny. What was going to happen? So they hid him for three months. What was the next plan? Well, in Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 3. But when they could no longer hide him... She got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in a basket, laid it among the reeds among the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. Soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the river bank. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to go get it. When the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you, she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Take this baby and nurse him for me, the mother, or the, excuse me, the princess told the baby's mother, I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. So the plan, we don't know how she received the plan, how this family got the plan, but at the end of three months, they knew that they were going to put baby Moses in a basket, and float baby Moses down the Nile. I don't know if they had any more instruction than that. But that took some faith. Like, this is a special son, and and really I'm going to put this precious cargo in a basket and let it go. Oh, oh, but but I'll have my daughter. She'll walk along the bank, and she'll make sure what? What is she going to make sure? I, I don't know. But as we look back, we see that God actually was working in an amazing way. First of all, Pharaoh's daughter came down for the bath at the right time. I, I don't know, again, about the life I guess, living as a Pharaoh's daughter. But I'm assuming she actually didn't have to go to the river all the time. She could have bathed at home. 
But maybe, okay, hey, I'm going to go down to the river. God moved. Actually, when she saw the baby, we just have heard this story, but she was breaking Pharaoh's law. Pharaoh's law was throw the baby in the river. It was very convenient. The river's right there. Hey, I just found a baby. I better listen to dad. But she doesn't. And then, how crazy is this? Some Hebrew girl comes running up and says, Hey, I see you found a baby. I see (laughs) you want to keep it. Hey, I can find the perfect nurse for that baby. Hey, great idea. I'll even pay you. Take this baby home and take care of it for me. We look at it as, oh, this is kind of a story. But, But this is God moving in some pretty amazing ways. The scriptures tell us that Pharaoh's daughter then adopted this boy in Exodus chapter 2, verse 10. Later, when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. The princess named him Moses, for she explained, I lifted him out of the water. Now, commentators actually will wrestle on how old Moses was when he was handed back. Now, technically, you would wean a child, and maybe back in that time, no formula, no, none of that. So, so maybe at the end of weaning, it could be three years old, or three and a half, or four years old. But even the language here doesn't really look as an infant. I think realistically, at least where I lean, is that I think she kept him till about 12 years old. That gave her opportunity to be able to, well, let him learn about God. After all, as far as we know, he didn't have a whole lot of influence about God once she handed him back. A four-year-old's not going to probably know a whole lot about God. They can know God somewhat. But realistically, even now in a Hebrew culture, you would be entering manhood or womanhood at about the age of 12 or 13. You would have all of these years to be able to train them and help them understand who God is and the history of Israel. And I actually think this really what was happening. That God allowed the parents, godly parents, to teach Moses about God and his promises. I think they taught about Israel's history, the history of God's faithfulness, especially about the covenant promise that was given to Abraham. Do you realize we're all going to end up in a promised land? We're all going back to Canaan. This is something that God said is going to happen. I know we're in Egypt right now. But this is a promise. And then even Joseph's story. To learn all that God did so that, well, Israel or the Jews wouldn't starve at that time. And they come ushered into this land of Egypt. And Moses learned about who God was, how powerful God was, how faithful God was. And then handed over to Pharaoh's daughter, to be Pharaoh's son. Now, as you 
look at this. You also recognize that, according to tradition at least, Pharaoh's daughter was raising Moses to be a leader in Egypt. Some people even think to be the next Pharaoh. So in the last part of Exodus that we read, you find out that he was given all kinds of instruction. He was educated like nobody's business. He learned all about what he needed to know about running a country. You know, as I look back at this story, Blake last week touched on Joseph. We have Moses, probably lasting at least the 10 or 12 years old, where he was given all the instructions about God. Now, if you look back at Joseph, which again, so many of you know the story and were reminded last week, actually, at age 17, when he was sold, there was no more instruction given to him. The only thing Joseph knew about God was what he knew at 17 from hopefully a group of godly parents. You guys know the story of Joseph and how he honored God and how he listened to God and how he was used by God. I actually look at both of these stories. I wonder, even as parents, if we knew we only had 12 years with our sons or daughters, would we do things differently? Or maybe 17 at the end of high school. Oh, okay, well, Rick, it's not the case. I get that. But think about that. That these two men were applauded for their faith. They ended up being amazing leaders that loved God tremendously. And they probably didn't have any instruction after age 12 and after age 17. I think, again, what's important is that parenting, youth ministry, are absolutely critical. I I think this is a little bit of an encouragement for you young parents. Remembering, again, the influence that each of you have. But I also got to believe that some of you have older kids. And you look back. Maybe you weren't even saved. Maybe you didn't take that rearing of your kids seriously. You know, I want to encourage you too. And I don't think you need to despair. Because I do think God is bigger than our parenting. What's so encouraging is this. Is God uses godly parents. And God sets up people for the future. And each of us have opportunities to pour into others. And if God gives you kids or a family, what a blessing, what an opportunity to be able to pour into them God's truth. You see, faith in God 
made them fearless, as you can see. They were not afraid to disobey the king's command. Somehow God had met with them. Somehow God said, hey, this one is special. All right, I'll hide. I'll send Moses out in a little basket. God, this is your kid. You got to take care of him. What a beautiful picture of God's faith and how they continued to have influence in their kids or in Moses' life. Now, in our scripture, as we continue to move forward here, in Hebrews chapter 11, starting at verse 24, and we'll stay in Hebrews for a little bit here, so if you want to turn your Bibles back to there, but God applauds the faith of Moses three times in the next five verses where almost all the applause of these heroes of faith have only been one verse. Moses has a little bit more scripture, at least here in Hebrews 11. So his parents are applauded in verse 23. And then Moses' faith, part one, is applauded starting at verse 24. Let me read for you. Hebrews 11 24. And it was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt. He was looking ahead to a great reward. God mentions how faith of Moses made him refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter when he chose to identify with the Egyptian slaves or the Jews. The scriptures here say he refused to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He refused the treasures of Egypt. He chose to suffer like Christ who gave up heaven. For a little bit to come to this planet because he loved us in order to obey his heavenly father. Moses was looking ahead toward eternity, toward reward. Now, now let me again put this story into context. The scriptures tell us in Acts chapter 7, when Stephen was preaching, that Moses was about 40 years old when he came into a situation where he thought he should let everybody know that he was God's leader. Now, now let me set this up, though. For about 30 years, he did Egypt. Do you know what I get by that? Um, I don't think he was suffering. Number one, he was a prince. He had prestige. He had status. He had power. He had comfort. He had the best education, which I've already shared with you. He was educated in warfare, in art, in philosophy, in language, in architecture, in politics, in religion. I got to believe that any and all entertainment and every bit of comfort was available to him. Back then, maybe it was getting the fastest chariots. 
or maybe racing boats up and down the Nile. But whatever it was, he had access to it. We could say this, is that he was living the dream at 40. 40 years old. Let's just say the first 10, 12 years, he was with his real mom. Then he was adopted for the next 30 years. Anything he wanted, everything, the best of all, was available to him. And technically, it would have been his the rest of his life. The rest of his life. Turn back to Exodus chapter uh, chapter 2. Starting at verse 11. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. He knew the Hebrews, that he was part of that nation. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching Moses, he killed the Egyptian and hid his body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. And he said, why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me? as you killed the Egyptian yesterday. We get a little bit more insight in Acts chapter 7, starting at verse 23. Sounds a little bit the same, but there's something interesting added. One day when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his relatives, the people of Israel. He saw an Egyptian mistreating an Israelite. So Moses came to the man's defense and avenged him, killing the Egyptian. Moses assumed his fellow Israelites would realize that God has sent him to rescue them. But they didn't. They didn't. Moses knew he was going to be a leader. Moses understood that he had this special destiny. And he saw at 40 years old, now's the time. Israel's going to appreciate so much that I stood up. All of my brothers and sisters, they're going to understand I'm the leader. And they will be so grateful to me. Well, Moses had to choose between Egypt and God. By faith, Moses embraced God. He refused Egypt's prestige and status and comfort. Moses knew God and knew he would be the deliverer or savior. But killing the Egyptian, listen to this, wasn't God's way or plan at this time. I I do applaud Moses' faith. I I do just not his ways. And and really, I am sure a lot is going on in his mind. After all, no one would be better for him or no one would be better suited than him to lead Israel. After all, who knew Egypt better than Moses? Nobody. Well, surely the slaves would acknowledge his leadership, but they didn't. 
And what's so interesting is this, is that God needed a leader who was humble and dependent upon God. And Moses wasn't there yet. Moses was filled with arrogance. Moses was self-absorbed. I can do this. I can do this on my own. Well, Moses' bold move cost him. He became a fugitive knowing Egypt wasn't his future. He chose the unseen rather than the seen. He exchanged what he had for something he didn't have. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting at verse 16, had the same attitude. This is what Paul says. In ministry, in life, he's describing the walk. He said, that is why we believers never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I think Moses got that. He had everything available to him. Yes, he went about it in a wrong way, but the truth was he's making a stand. I am not going to stay here in Egypt. I am going to make a move and I I'm choosing God. Moses knew God and knew his promises. So by faith, he refused. He turned his back. And when you understood all that he had, it's pretty amazing. Now the favored prince turns into a fugitive. In Hebrews, go back there to chapter 11... Starting at verse 27, another faith statement. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. So the first aspect is that God applauds him for his faith because he refused He refused all of the comfort of Egypt. Now God is applauding his faith because he is going to leave Egypt trusting God for the future. He knows he's going to be the rescuer, but Pharaoh can't touch him. He's in God's will. He recognizes that he doesn't need to fear Pharaoh? He leaves at 40. And as you look into the rest of the scriptures, he ends up in the desert and lives for another 40 years. 40 years in the desert. 40 years with no luxury. 40 years after leaving all the pleasures of Egypt. But during that 40 years, according to the scripture, he kept his eyes on God. He developed a relationship with God. There was a dependence that was being developed. 
And we know how he comes out of the desert when he's 80, all right? And we don't know a lot what happened in that time frame, but I think this is where Moses learned to be a humble servant. This is where he learned to depend upon God. This is where he learned to listen to God because he left an arrogant, confident leader and emerged from the desert right before he was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, right before God talked to him in the burning bush, he emerged from the desert as a humble, dependent leader. Whoa. Actually, I think the suffering, the 40 years, the um, being away from the allurement of Egypt actually built his character. Let me just share a few verses with you out of 1 Peter. Peter, of course, was an apostle, and he wrote both of his letters to a group of Christians who were hurting. They were suffering. They were losing their jobs. They were losing their lives, all because they followed Jesus. Well, this is what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19. So Peter writes to these hurting people, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God. In other words, you're not suffering because you're a jerk. (laughs) You're suffering because you're obeying God. You're listening to God. And there are consequences sometimes when you listen to God. This is what he says. Keep on doing what is right. Entrust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. All right, that pumps your tires a little bit. Okay, Uh, keep doing that. It's a little bit hard right now, but you won't fail me, God. I'll tell you, at the end of his letter, this verse has rocked my world over these last two weeks. In 1 Peter Chapter 5, verse 12. So Peter's writing this group. Hey, I want you to know my purpose in writing to you is to encourage you in your suffering, in your hurting. I know you're listening to God, and I know, wow, it's costing you. But I'm writing to encourage you and to assure you that what you are experiencing, this suffering, this hurt of following God is truly part of God's grace for you. So stand firm in the grace. What Peter is saying, this should blow you away. He's saying, hey, I want to encourage you. You are suffering. I get it. You're not seeing the big picture. But what I want you to understand is it's really me being gracious to you. I'm showing you grace. You know why? You're depending on me differently. You're praying to me differently. You're trusting me differently. This is all good, and this is my grace for you. Stand firm in that. You're not going through this. This isn't a mistake. I am with you. I will never fail you. I think Moses didn't fear the king because he knew the ultimate king. 
As you know, most of the history of Moses, he eventually walks back into Pharaoh's presence and speaks for God, a different dependent man. Now, lastly, God applauds the faith of Moses because of his respect for God's word. Back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 28. And it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and to sprinkle blood on the doorposts so that the angel of death would not kill their firstborn sons. This is later in Moses' life. This is the last plague, shall we say, before Pharaoh's heart is melted and lets the children of Israel leave. And so God says this, I am so encouraged by Moses' faith. He was faithful to me. He proclaimed my word. He taught the people who says, hey, this is something you need to do if you want your firstborn to live. I want you to kill lamb. I want you to eat some certain foods. And I want you to spread the lamb's blood on the doorpost. And if you do, the angel of death which is going to come over all the land of Egypt, will pass over you. If you have the blood on the doorposts, you will be saved. Now again, I am so sure Moses heard that from God going like, really? We have a lot of history. We looked back at that. So God, what you're telling me, Our people will be saved if we kill a lamb and put blood on a doorpost. Yes. Go tell the people. And what was so encouraging is that Moses said, I will do that. And he spread the word. God said, spread the blood. God's plan was the blood. So paint the doorpost with blood. He encouraged them to do that. Oh, today, my friends, you know this had so much more to do than red doorposts. It is a beautiful picture of a lamb's blood that saved Israel from their oppressors. And it is today the lamb's blood that saves us today. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. The Apostle John says this, the blood of the Lamb cleanses me from all of my sin. It was God's plan to pass over because of the blood. Now let me say this. God is so pleased by your faith and my faith When we trust what God has to say. When we bank on it. And again, in this short text, we are being shown what pleasing faith looks like. You want to honor God with faith? Well, Jochebed and Amram chose to trust God. They trained little Moses and they floated Moses down a river. What kind of faith is that? It's a faith 
that does what God asks them to do. Then Moses, giving at 40 years old, coming to a crisis in his life, am I going to believe God or am I going to stay here and be Pharaoh? Probably. Am I going to keep everything Egypt has to offer me or am I going to listen to God? Which means for my life, and he didn't even know that, but it's going to be 40 years in the desert. 40 years with a whole lot of nothing. But the good thing, you're going to learn about God. You're going to learn to depend upon God. You're going to grow in that relationship with God. It'll change your life completely. And it won't be worth any of the stuff over here in Egypt. Moses trusted God to leave Egypt, go into the desert for 40 years. God applauded that. He listened. And then God trusted Moses, or God, excuse me, Moses trusted God's words and encouraged others to listen. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Kill the lamb. Put the blood up. Do you understand you will be saved because of the blood of the Lamb? Children of Israel, please listen to me. God told me this. And that's what Moses did. This is God-pleasing faith. Available to all of us ordinary people today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these illustrations. I I can't even imagine being a young parent and just floating my son down a river. And it's going to be okay. Wow. Or, Or having all that Moses had and to choose you. Because you're better. You're faithful. You have a promise and a future. And all this stuff is all temporary. It's what it is. Father, I thank you that Moses trusted you. I thank you for Moses' parents. I thank you, dear God, that you showed up to Moses and And he shows us what a blessing it is to listen to you. Father, each one of us at times struggle with your word, listening to your word, wondering if your word makes sense. But God, it does. And you are pleased when we listen to your word. May we get into your word. May we listen to your words. May we apply them by the Spirit's power and authority. And God, would you give us more and more faith. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.